Yes, hello, this is Kenneth Anderson's podcast, and it's the 23rd of March, 2021. The time is 17.21, and it is Tuesday. Now, today we are going once again visiting this book about self-indulgence, healing your emotional self, about a powerful program to help you raise your self-esteem and quiet your inner critic. So... What to talk about today? Well, of course, if you if you notice my voice is a bit uh, louder today, it's because I have been turning up the gain on my microphone, but also I have been engaging or the uh, cut-off filter, the low-cut filter is engaged also. So my voice is not so deep as it usually is. So without further ado, Let's just read out loud and see if we can take something away from this book that we can use to something constructive. Self-indulgence. Sorry. Let's just change as I usually do because I almost forget sometimes to change the scene so I can see in the videos when I start reading. Self-indulgence. Adult children who were deprived in childhood not only continue to deprive themselves the way their parents did, but they also often go to the other extreme and become overly self-indulgent. In fact, the flip side of deprivation is indulgence. This is why so many neglected and emotionally abused children grow up to become adults who are overly indulgent as a way of balancing their hardship and in a desperate need to comfort themselves they develop a way of being far too easily on themselves. When life becomes difficult, they look to food, alcohol, drugs, relationships, shopping, or a multitude of other addictions for solace and comfort. Based on in-depth interviews with the family of obese children, Hilde Brush, a psychiatrist at Baylor College of Medicine, and her colleague, Grace Turin, found that the roots of the drive to go to the excess were parenting styles that were permissive and or depriving. Medical literature has since corroborated Bruce's and Tourette's findings, showing that various problems are more likely to arise when parents are permissive or depriving. Literature on eating disorders, substance abuse, affective disorders, and health promotions is particularly consistent with this with this idea. My experiences with deprivation and indulgence. My my mother was a single parent who worked hard to support us. She stood on her feet for eight hours a day selling cosmetics to wealthy women in an upscale department store. Every day she got up several hours early to give herself plenty of time to apply full makeup and dress immediately so she would look good for her job. She was so focused on looking good in order to keep her job that she paid little attention to what I wore or even to making certain that I took care of basic hygiene, such as brushing my teeth. The result was that I often went around with dirty teeth, dirty hair and unclean clothes. Because my mother worked so hard and was so stressed out over keeping her job and putting food on the table, 
She indulged herself in the evenings and on her days off. One of the first things she did when she got home was to open her first of many cans of beer and sit down to watch TV. On her day off, she allowed herself to sleep in, often until noon. When she finally got up, she drank coffee and smoked cigarettes for several hours until she squeed into drinking beer and smoking cigarettes late in the afternoon. She read or watched TV for the rest of the evening, sometimes drinking as much as two six-packs of beer. As a child, I felt horrible depriving of a mother. Sorry, I felt horribly deprived of a mother. I longed for one who would get up in the morning and do what I saw other mothers doing, making breakfast, cleaning the house, doing their kids' laundry. I wanted to be able to bring my friends over for dinner, have my mother drive us to a movie, or go bowling as my friends' mother would do with them. Instead, I got up in the morning and went outside to find a neighborhood kid to play with or an adult to talk to. On school days, I got myself dressed and went off to school without breakfast. I often look like a little ragamuffin. You'd think that I would be a thin, maybe even sicky child, but fortunately I had good genes and maintained fairly good health, with the exceptions of suffering from chronic bronchitis because of my mother smoking. I also had severe constipation because I ate so little in the way of vegetable and fruit, and I had multiple cavities because of my poor dental hygiene. Instead of being thin, by the time I reached six or seven, I began to look rather pudgy. I had already begun to indulge myself with food in order to make up for the emotional deprivation I experienced. Raveness from missing breakfast, I would scarf down every bite of my cafeteria lunch. After school, I made myself fried egg sandwiches. We never had lunch meat or cheese on hand. At dinner, I stuffed myself with whatever my mother had managed to put together. And late in the evening, I would sneak into the refrigerator to see what I could find. The beginnings of my tendencies to indulge myself also came from my mother's tendencies to go to extremes with deprivation and indulgence. We would scrap by, as she would say, all week eating beans and macaroni, but when she got her paycheck, she would always buy us a steak or a chicken and a treat. This was usually a half a gallon of ice milk, a cheaper version of ice cream. She'd buy the ice milk on a Friday, for example, and by Saturday night, or at least by Sunday afternoon, it would be gone. She would probably have one bowl of it, and I would have the rest. From my mother, I learned many things. I learned to work hard. In fact, I learned that you can do most anything if you just force ahead and put your mind to it. She was able to raise a child all over on her own in spite of the fact that she didn't have any skills except being a good salesperson. I learned that if you just stayed focused on the task at hand and ignored your body, your feelings and your needs, you could get by with little rest, little pleasure and little nurturing. And this is what I became accustomed to doing for most of my life. I worked hard and accomplished wonderful things, but seldom took the time to pay attention to my body or my emotional needs.
I deprived myself of sleep and seldom played or gave myself much pleasure. <laughs> I ended up doing the same as my mother, dividing my life into two extremes, deprivation and indulgence. I worked myself into exhaustion and then came down from my work frenzy by overeating and then sleeping it off. Just as my mother dealt with stress by drinking her six-pack, I dealt with mine by overeating when I got home. In surprise, and surprise, surprise, at the end of a long week at work, I rewarded myself with ice cream. <laughs> Journaling exercise. Too harsh or too easy? Number one, write about the way that you are too easy on yourself. You don't push yourself to exercise. You allow yourself to eat ice cream, even though you want to lose weight, or you continue to allow yourself to procrastinate. Number two, write about the way that you are too harsh on with yourself, pushing yourself to complete a task or ignoring your need for proper nutrients and rest, depriving yourself of a treat now and then because you are so obsessed with staying thin. Now we come to stop attacking yourself. Few childhood experiences have as destructive an impact on your sense of self as abandonment. It creates a basic feeling of worthlessness or wrongness that amplifies even mild hurts into a feeling of deprivation. If you were abandoned as a child, almost any painful event can cause you to experience a sinking feeling of worthlessness. For example, if someone becomes critical or angry with you, if you feel ignored or discounted, or if you make a mistake, it can confirm your basic belief that you are worthless. Your reaction may be either to get angry at yourself or chastise yourself severely or to become numb. You may live in constant fear that others will discover how worthless you really are. When someone criticizes or rejects you, it may feel as if they have seen the real you. No matter how small the current difficulties, it is a painful reminder of the times when you were rejected or abandoned as a child and came to believe that you were to blame and that you were to blame for it. Even though you may try to tell yourself that it is just a small thing, your reasonable voice gets drowned out by your overwhelmingly feelings of worthlessness or being wrong. You may try to defend against or block the feelings of worthlessness by attacking yourself, believing that if you beat yourself up enough, you will finally correct your flaws, that the things you hate in yourself can be fixed, and that when you have beaten yourself into shape, the bad feelings will go away. This kind of self-flagellation can actually work temporarily. You are so focused on correcting your flaws that the deep feeling of not being okay gets masked for a while, but over time you are further destroying your self-esteem and self-worth. The only way to stop these self-attacks is to realize that every time you beat yourself up, you are not only damaging your self-worth, but you are also running away from reality. You are creating a fantasy in which you believe you can finally crave 
Sorry, finally carve yourself into your personal ideal. But you cannot cut and hack yourself into shape. In fact, you are doing more harm than good. Self-attack actually reduces your capacity to change. It is also, sorry, it is only when you feel good about yourself that you feel motivated to make real changes. So of course, this is the extreme cases, of course, when humans are deprived of human emotions from their parents. So of course, I believe if you are in these categories that we have discussed or we have read out loud here, it's very important that you, of course, seek professional help so that you can get the nurturing and that you can get another person to guide you through this uh, very painful experience that you have had in childhood. Because if you have had lack of uh, attention as a child, well then, of course, you feel worthless. You feel that you are not worth anything. And perhaps if you have had friends in your life that came too close and perhaps told you something that that was not so pleasant to listen to, then you overthink it and you think that perhaps this person does not like me anymore because I'm worthless uh, and overly overwhelming feelings of worthlessness can enter your life. So it's very important that you do not beat yourself up all the time because that's not going to help maybe temporarily, but not in the long run. It Self-attack actually reduces your capacity to change. So attacking yourself can only harm you. It's very easy to say this out loud, of course, but it's very difficult if you are in this situation, and if especially if you do not seek help. Uh, that's why I constantly tell you that if you are in these situations, I would highly suggest you seek professional help, of course, because then you can finally start to get to the root of the problem. Then you can finally realize that it is not your fault, that it is actually your parents' fault, that if they have shown these bad personality traits uh, on you, that they have affected you in this negative way and that this is actually the reason why you feel this way you do about yourself. And to come to that realization can be very painful, of course, but could can also be very liberating. Liberating in this way because then you finally realize it's not your fault. It is not your inner voice that constantly brings you down, but it is in effect your parents' neglect of your childhood that gets your inner voice to talk this way about you and put you down. So very important that we realize that if we have had these traumas in our childhood, that we of course seek for professional help so that we can get through them, so that we can stop being so self-critical of ourselves and start forming our own personalities 
and not allowing our parents to form them for us in this bad way. Redirect your anger. Many people who were abandoned in childhood turn their rage over being abandoned against themselves in the form of self-blame, self-punishment or self-loathing. If you are one of them, it is vitally important that you work on redirecting your anger towards those who abandoned you. When Nancy was six years old, her parents divorced. Nancy's father moved across the country and her mother left her in the care of her grandmother while she looked at for work. She couldn't find a job in their small town but was able to get one in a nearby city. Unfortunately, because she felt that the city was no place to raise a child, she left Nancy with her grandmother full-time and visited her every weekend. Nancy grew up feeling abandoned by both her parents, but particularly by her mother whose visits became more and more infrequent. As a typical child, Nancy blamed herself for her mother's abandonment. She felt that if she had been a better daughter, her mother would have wanted to take her back to the city. Each time Nancy's mother left her, Nancy searched her brain, trying to discover what she had done wrong. As an adult, Nancy continued to blame herself for her mother's abandonment. She was convinced that there was something inherently wrong with her and that no man would want her because of it. When I met Nancy, she was a lonely woman with few friends who tended to be terribly self-critical. It didn't take long to realize that Nancy needed to get angry at her mother for abandoning her and for not loving her enough to make time for her. She needed to recognize that her mother left her because she was selfish or not a good mother, and because Nancy was not a good daughter. With some encouragement from me, Nancy was finally able to face the truth about her mother. In one of our role-playing sessions, she was able to say to her mother, I am not worthless. You are the one who was worthless. You were a worthless mother. At this session, Nancy made a huge step towards her recovery. Do you remember Tammy from Chapter 2, The Cutter? A significant part of her recovery was her acknowledgement of how angry she was at her abandoning father. Instead of internalizing the rejection and assuming that there must have been something wrong with her to cause her father to reject her, she was finally able to allow herself to get angry with him and to begin to recognize that it was he who had been the problem. Earlier I shared with you that Tammy hated to see her reflection in the mirror. As a matter of fact, she hated her image so much that several times in the past she had actually smashed mirrors, sometimes with her bare fists, other times by throwing an object at it. I'd become enraged when I saw myself. I felt so unacceptable and unlovable, and I felt so guilty for the way I was treating myself, the cutting but I didn't know how to stop myself. By turning her righteous anger on her father instead of her on herself, Tammy began to recognize that the problem was not with her, but with her father. There is something wrong with him. After all, what kind of father rejects his own daughter? 
So this is part of this therapy session, of course, that you redirect your anger away from yourself and onto the real issue at hand, namely your parents. If you were neglected in any of these ways, you should redirect your anger towards your parents, but you should do it with a, with guidance of a, a psychiatrist or a, someone <clears throat> who has a professional education behind behind him or her. Because otherwise, it could turn out to be uh, violent. It could turn out to be that you perhaps express your anger in a violent way and not in a constructive way. So very, very important that you, of course, seek professional help if you have had these problems. Stop protecting your parents. You met Greg in Chapter 2. He was the boy whose mother suffered from severe headaches around him and who expected Greg to take care of her instead of the other way around. Greg needed to get angry at his mother for her neglect, but like many children of inadequate parents, he had a difficult time acknowledging his anger. Because their parents often behave like helpless or irresponsible children, adult children tend to feel protective of them and to jump to their parents' defense if anyone criticizes them. But they didn't mean any harm, and they did the best they could, are often the typical responses. This was the case with Greg, when I pointed out to him that his mother had abdicated her resp- had abdicated her responsibilities to him. He became very angry at me. My mother couldn't help it that she had those bad headaches. She was completely debilitated by them. When I pointed out that. He had told me that his mother never seemed to have those headaches when his father came home and that in fact she seemed to be miraculously cured just before his arrival. Greg countered with, well, maybe I was confused about that. Maybe it didn't really happen that way. It took a while before Greg was able to understand that he had been forced to grow up too soon and that he had been robbed of a childhood. He needed to stop exhausting himself by taking care of his mother and start focusing on his own needs for a change. Once he did this, Greg noticed that he had a lot more energy. I used to feel weighted down with responsibility. Now I feel a new freedom. For the first time in my life, I'm getting in touch with what I want and need at any particular time. And I feel so much better about myself. My self-esteem used to always be tied in with how much my mother loved me and how much I was able to accomplish. Now my self-esteem comes from taking care of my own needs. Being reminded of your value and lovability. It is generally not a good idea to look outside of yourself in order to feel good about who you are. But people who experienced abandonment and or extreme criticism as children tend to need external validation more than others. This this need for external validation is understandable, because if you were abandoned by your parents, you were invalidated. 
when the ones who are most important to you in your life don't seem to love, value or accept you, you will obviously feel unwanted and unworthy. As a result, you will feel desperate to be reassured that you are in fact lovable, valuable and appreciated. Although, although no one can bestow self-esteem on you, the validation of friends and lovers can help you feel better about yourself so that you can bestow esteem on yourself. In other words, using external validation can become a tool for helping you raise your self-esteem. Journaling exercise from external validation to self-esteem. The next time you make a mistake or are overwhelmed with feelings of worthlessness for any reason, do the following journaling exercise. Number one, remember a time when you were acknowledged by friends, family uh, or others in your community for something you did well. Number two, how did getting this feedback feel? And number three, what do your friends seem to value most in you? Number four, think of a close friend. What do you imagine he or she might say if she was if uh, sorry again? What do you imagine he or she might say if asked the question, What do you value most about me? Number five, what do you value most about yourself? Number six, does your friend's appreciation of you match your own? And how? Number seven, is there anything about yourself that you value but your friends don't seem to recognize? And number eight, what additional qualities about yourself would you like others to recognize? Now we come to chapter number 12. If you were overprotected or emotionally smothered. But we are taking a small break now and we can come back again, of course. Yes, and I'm back again. And now <clears throat> I have engaged uh, or taken away the low-cut filter. So now my voice is a bit deeper, but perhaps you can also hear there's a bit of a background noise. But that's okay. Let's just keep on reading. If you were overprotected or emotionally smothered, healing the I am nothing without my parents mirror. Overly protective or smothering parents tends to deprive their children of energy and an awareness of their own separate identity. Leaving them no strength to grow and develop their unique personalities. Parents who refuse to let their children separate from them are actually restricting and limiting their child's potential to make something of themselves in the world. When a parent's desire to protect goes too far, it can block the development of the child and severely limits his or her choices in the world. One of the primary problems adults who were overprotected or emotionally smothered tends to experience is difficulty separating and individuating, individuating, that's a very difficult word, difficulty separating and individuating from their parents, 
The term separation refers to the ability to have a clear physics representation, an internal image, an understanding of the self as different from everyone else, <clears throat> especially the mother. Many who were overly protected or emotionally smothered, especially by their mothers, tend to continue to regard themselves as extensions of their mothers. Separation is especially difficult when parents are not able to let their children be separate and when they continue to consider them as extensions of themselves, discouraging any attempts on the child's part to become separate. This is especially true of parents with narcissistic tendencies or a narcissistic personality disorder. The term individuation refers to identity formation. It is not sufficient just to separate. You also need to have a clear image and understanding of who you are. In order to do this, those who were overly protected or emotionally smothered often need to freely and consciously choose who they want to be instead of taking on certain characteristics, beliefs, values and attitudes to please their parents. Narcissistic, overly protective and emotionally smothering parents tends to insist on obedience, to foster dependency and to quickly stomp on any signs of resistance and rebellion. But restricting and rebellions are often exactly what adult children of these kinds of parents need to do if they are to develop a separate sense of self. This was the case with Lupe, whom you met in Chapter 2. She not only lacked the strength to stand up to her father and fight for what she wanted, but also she doubted her own ability to make the right decisions for herself. When I encouraged her to begin thinking for herself, she told me, You know, my father is usually right about things. If I did what I wanted to do, I'd probably mess up my life. It took many months of therapy before Lupe was able to admit that she resented her father's smothering, controlling ways. It took even more therapy before she could express her anger towards him during role-playing sessions with me. Even then she felt a bit uh, guilty about doing so. I feel like a rebellious teenager, but I guess that's appropriate since I didn't get to rebel as a kid. <laughs> Joshua, the case of the mama boy. Mama's boy, sorry. Joshua is an 18-year-old who came to see me because of a recent breakup with her, his girlfriend. He had been suffering from depression ever since the relationship ended. Let's just take that one more time. Joshua, the case of the mama's boy. Joshua is an 18-year-old who came to see me because of a recent breakup with his girlfriend. He had been suffering from depression ever since the relationship ended. I just can't seem to bounce back like I should. I'm still angry with my ex and I have no interest in getting involved with another girl. I've even started wondering whether I'm capable of really loving another person. Over the course of several weeks, Joshua and I developed deeper into his feelings. So we dwelled deeper into his feelings. It turns out that he didn't like himself very much. I'm really disappointed in myself. 
There are so many things I wanted or I want to do, but I'm too afraid to try them. We also explored his family background. Joshua was raised by a workaholic father who seldom spent time with him and an overly controlling, smothering mother. My mother worried a lot, Joshua explained. She wanted to know what I am doing all time, all the time. Why uh, sorry, who my friends are and what we are doing. She monitors what I watch on TV and how I use the computer. Not just a normal monitoring, but in an extreme way. Ever since I was a little kid, she always had chores for me to do, and if I resisted in any way, she put a real guilt trip on me about how overworked she was. I was the youngest of five kids. By the time she she'd had me, she was tired. I understood that, so I tried to help her out, but I had to do things just a certain way to please her. My brothers think I'm a mama's boy because I stayed home with my mother so much, but it isn't because I'm, but it isn't because I am so close to her. It is because I didn't feel I had a right to my own life. And it was because my mother trained me to comply with her wishes. In reality, I resent her for being so controlling, and I hate myself for not standing up to her more. What Joshua discovered was that there was a connection between his strong dislikes and this disappointment in himself, in his inability to really open up and care for another human being, and the way his mother controlled and monitored him. Because he couldn't stand up to his mother and refused her sorry and refuse her demands, Joshua didn't respect himself. Because he didn't respect himself, but viewed himself as a weakling, he didn't like himself, much less love himself. And because he wasn't able to love himself, he couldn't love anyone else. Making this connection was very profound for Joshua. Now, as Joshua explained it, I'm trying to break free. He, he questions things instead of just going along with his mother's demands, and he doesn't give in to his mother's uh, condemnment behavior, like having to listen to her problems. He lets her know that while he understands her worries, she needs to begin to trust him, since he has proven to her time and time again that he is trustworthy. He is finding that the more he stands up for himself with his mother, the more he is able to stand up to others. I'm not the little weakling anymore, he boosted once day. I even stood up to my bully of a brother. Joshua likes himself more and more as time goes by, and this is affecting his ability to care about others. I'm not so angry with my ex-girlfriend anymore. In fact, I can see where she was coming from wasn't ready for a relationship, and she sensed it. I think I'll be a lot more able to love in my next relationship because I like myself so much better. So this is or can be a big problem. Overprotecting or smothering parents, we call, we, we call them uh, helicopter, helicopter parenting, um, or curling parenting, you know the game of curling where they push the rocks 
and they have to use a broom to to make the rock uh, smi- uh, slide smoothly across the ice. So you get the point of a parents who might think that they are protecting their child by being overprotective, by constantly monitoring every move that the child is making also into uh, into the teenage years can actually backfire us, can actually make that person not being able to make their own personalities, but actually only having their personalities from their parents, from an over-smothering mother or father, or both perhaps. Perhaps uh, it's even worse if their both parents are smothering. It can be particularly uh, difficult if uh, you are a lonely child, a child where you have had a, a father and mother but did not have any siblings. So it's very important that you see yourself in an honest uh, in an honest reflection here. That if you can see that you have had some smothering parents that perhaps are manipulating you, that perhaps are drawing your energy away from you, sucking the energy away from you, taking every ability of you to be independent away from you, then I believe it's very important that you start to stand up to yourself. And if it is so that you need counseling and therapy, I would highly suggest you search or seek counseling or therapy in order for you to break free of smothering or overprotecting parents. Now we come to healing from emotional incest. In order to heal from the damage of emotional incest, you first need to admit that you are a victim of it. This can be especially difficult because many adults who had an emotionally incestuous parents are in denial or are unaware of the negative consequences of such a relationship. Instead, all they focus on are the things they gain from it, namely extra privileges, a close relationship with a parent, praises and affection, shared confidence and or patient tutoring. After all, every child wishes he or she had this kind of special relationship with an obsessive sex partner, sorry, with an opposite sex parent. Questionnaire. Signs of emotional incest. Read each of the following statements and put a check mark next to the ones that applies to you. You may find it helpful to put the initials of the parents or caregiver next to each statement. Number one, I was a source of emotional support for one of my parents. Number two, I was best friends with a parent. Number three, when one of my parents left the home, either due to divorce, death or long absence, I was told that I needed to take his or her place, for boys to be the man of the house or for girls to keep daddy company. Number four, 
I was given special privileges or gifts by one of my parents. Number five. A parent told me that I was better company than his or her spouse. Number six. A parent told me that I understood him or her more than his or her spouse. Number seven. A parent talked to me about his or her problems. Number eight. A parent told me secrets and made me promise not to tell my other partners. Sorry, my other parent. Number nine. One of my parents told me in confidence that I was his or her favorite child. Number ten. One of my parents told me he or she wishes my other parents was more like me. Number eleven. One of my parents felt lonely a lot and needed me to keep him or her company. Number twelve. I felt I had to protect or to care of one of my parents. Number thirteen. A parent relied on me more than on any of my siblings. Number fourteen, I felt, I felt responsible for my parents' happiness. Fifteen, I sometimes felt guilty when I spent time away from one of my parents. Number sixteen, I got the impression that a parent did not want me to move away from home or to marry. Number seventeen, no one who ever dated me was good enough for one of my parents. Number eighteen, one of my parents seemed to be overly concerned about my developing sexuality. Number nineteen, I sometimes got the feeling that one of my parents had romantic or sexual feelings towards me. And number twenty, one of my parents made inappropriate sexual remarks or. Violated my privacy. If you answered yes to any of these questions, you probably had a codependent. Sorry, you probably had a codependent relationship with a needy parent. But if you consistently answered yes to these questions, you also suffered from emotional incest. This is especially true if you answered yes to question number two through ten and eighteen through twenty. Confronting the fact that you were a victim of emotional incest and that there are indeed negative consequences to such extreme devotion can be upsetting, so unsettling. But by doing so, you will gain insight into some of your most puzzling and troublesome emotional problems. What are the negative consequences, particularly as related to your self-esteem? According to Dr. Patrick Love, the author of *The Emotional Incest Syndrome* and other experts on emotional incest, the major effects emotional incest has on self-esteem and self-image include number one: self-image problems, dramatic shifts in self-esteem. You can be full of confidence one moment and overcome with inadequacy the next. Number two, excessive guilt over any and all of the following: talking, sorry, taking a parent away from a partner, being treated better than your siblings, failing to live up to your parents' expectations, wanting to break away from an overbearing or smothering parent, or manage to do so, 
All this guilt can eat away at your self-esteem. Number three. Chronic anxiety and fear of rejection owing to any of the following. Your role as the chosen child or surrogate partner was always uncertain. Your bond with your parents was a secret, denied by your parent and the rest of the family as well. And you may have sensed that your role as surrogate spouse may have only been temporary. If your parents resolved their problems, you may have been forced to return to your role as a child, or one of your siblings may have replaced you, causing you to wonder, what's wrong with me? Aren't I still special? If your parents were married, you always had to step aside to make room for the legitimate marriage partner. For fear of becoming sexually involved, a parents of the opposite sex may withdraw when the child shows signs of sexual maturity, leaving the child to feel rejected. If you were able to develop some sense of independence from your parents, he or she may have been threatened by your emerging sense of self and may have become critical or rejecting. Number four. Your fundamental needs for nurturing and independence were ignored in favor of your parents' needs for intimacy and companionship. This may have left you feeling deprived and needy and yet feeling guilty of feeling these things. It also can cause you to minimize your own needs in favor of taking care of the needs of others. Number five. Your parents' excessive interest in you may have created a need to be taken care of or paid attention to. When there is no one around to do do things with you or for you, you may feel deprived. And number six, your parents' intense inappropriate attention may have left you feeling convinced, sorry, may have left you feeling confined and unable to develop your own self and at your own pace. And now we come to action steps for healing. Let's just see how long time we have left. Yes. So action steps for healing. Whether you were overprotected, emotionally smothered or emotionally incested, there are specific things you need to do in order to emotionally separate from your parents and raise your self-esteem. Number Number one, determine your comfort level in terms of how often you wish to see your parents. You and you alone need to determine their frequency and conditions. For example, some people are more comfortable visiting their parent at their parents' home because they can leave when they become uncomfortable and they don't like their parents invading their personal space. While you may feel obligated to see your parents on holidays and other special occasions, you need to do so only if you can maintain your personal boundaries. Number two, set limits around an invasive parent. Personal boundaries include how close you allow your parents to get to you physically, what you wish to share with him or her about your personal life, and what you are willing to listen to about your parents' personal life. Spend some time determining what your comfort level is around these issues and then reinforce these boundaries when in your parents' presence. Number three. 
figure out your role in the continuing boundary violation. For example, do you have a misplaced sense of guilt? Do you feel overly responsible for your parents? These are common reactions when a parent has made it abundantly clear that he or she made huge sacrifices for a child. And a child who was trained to take care of a parent's emotional needs will have a hard time letting go of this role. But it is very important that you stop buying into this guilt. You are an adult who deserve her own life separate from your parents. You do not owe your parents so much that you need to sacrifice your own life for that person. Number four. Don't continue to ask for help from a smothering parent. If your parents already feels he or she has a right to tell you what you should do, do not encourage this behavior by asking for advice or assistance. You need to let your smothering parents know that you are a capable and competent adult. You do not convey this message if you periodically look to your parents to rescue, sorry, to rescue you emotionally or financially. Number five. Speak up the moment your boundaries are violated. Sorry, violated. State your position calmly and clearly. For example, Dad, I want you to call me before you come over. Or, Mom, please don't call me at work. Call me at home instead. Number 13. If you were overly controlled or tyrannized. But this is, of course, for a different podcast. So, smothering parents, over, can you give your, your young ones too much love, too much compassion, too much attention, and in doing so also want them to take care of your problems as a parent? Because I could say yes, <clears throat> this is good for a this book is good for if you are on the receiving end of this. If you have parents who are overprotecting or oversmothering, then you can see these problems that you have to deal with. But I also believe that if oversmothering or overprotecting parents read this, perhaps they can also come to the realization that perhaps it is not so good to raise your child in this way that perhaps they need to apologize to their child. They want to take that child into consideration when they think about how they raise their child. So, of course, I cannot only say this once or many times. This uh, podcast here, right now, of course, with this book, it, it has been one of the most profound books, but also one of the books that I have read that gets very, very close to dealing with the problems that we might have experienced in our childhood. And in dealing with this, in taking on this assignment, not assignment as, uh, as such, but this task of getting away from parents who have smothered us actually can help us 
create our own personality and not so much being at the whims of our parents. So I hope that if you if sorry if there was something here for you to deal with I of course hope that you will deal with it uh, with a kindling counsel with um, with professional help because I believe that that's the only way that you can get out of this emotionally abusive relationship with your parents it can be as the article clearly states, it can actually be very pleasable for you. It can actually feel like a good place to be because your parents, either one or the other or both, are actually showing you a lot of attention. They're actually showing you what might seem as love and care and kindness. But in fact, is actually making you miserable. It's actually deep inside making you not care for yourself, not think about yourself as a separate entity, as a separate personality, as a separate person from your parents, but you are uh, basically too connected to your parents. I can only speak for myself that in my family I have known persons who are still living with uh, their mother at home. I've also worked with someone who recently died a couple of years ago. He lived with his mother until he was uh, 50 years old. So there are cases that over-smothering parents have not been able to let go of their children. So that is not a mistake of the child, of course. That is a mistake of the parents. So I also hope that if a parent listens to this and can see that perhaps I have had these issues with raising my child, that you turn around from the ways that you have raised your child and apologize for the way you have behaved and try to search for forgiveness and also try to make amends. Try as good as you can to look at the future of your child as someone who also deserves happiness and content and to live his or her life the way they see fit. So I hope this podcast was helpful for you. I hope it did not get too close for comfort, but I know that it's very important that if you have had these problems, either you are a parent or you are on the receiving end, you have to realize that perhaps over-smothering parents could also have a negative effect on you. So let's make it positive instead. Let's accept this as perhaps a fact in your life and let's move on. Let's talk about it openly either with a counseling or either with um, professional help a therapist. I would highly suggest you do that of course but also confronting your parents with it. 
telling your parents that it was wrong of them to cheat to treat you like this. It was wrong of them to oversmother you. To perhaps they thought it was a sign of affection, a sign of love, but in fact it has hindered you into becoming an adult who wants to live his or her own life. So by doing that, you are actually taking away the power your parents might have had on you. And by doing so, you actually allow love and care and kindness to enter your life, also from other human beings around you. Because we have all filled with flaws. We all have made mistakes in our lives. We all have stuff in our baggage that we regret. But we are all humans. We are all humans filled with love and compassion and kindness deep inside ourselves. So let's just take away the layers and start showing love and care and compassion towards ourselves and towards others. Because by doing that, I believe that we actually can create a better world, a better world for you and for me. So, this is Kenneth Anderson signing off. It is the 23rd of March 2021. The time is 19.04 and it is Tuesday. Bye.